1: Hello, and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V, pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. Father, tonight we've got a lot of questions from our email inbox, and I'll start with one concerning Cardinal Burke. So this questioner would like to know, what does Father think about the possibility of Cardinal Burke being the next pope to bring back the church to tradition and her former glory?
0: well uh, as always there's more involved to that than a simple 15 or 10 <laughs> words or less you know colonel okay. burke went along with the novus ordo okay he's gone along a long long way with the novus ordo and uh has actually defended the the novus ordo the new master sacraments and all the rest right he's been uh, a partisan of the changes all those years uh, did not uh, lead any resistance to them He's become rather well-known lately because, uh, under Francis, things have become so egregiously awful that he's, you know, that the blogger heads with the ultimate conclusions of modernism. I'd like to think, and I pray, that he would come to see that the whole modernist construct since Vatican II, the whole horror story of Vatican II and, and what came after it, must be rejected, and I'd like to see him return completely to Catholic tradition. But so far he's not doing that. Right. <clears throat> he's just trying to find a, um, <clears throat> a form of modernism that he's comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't see, even if he were to become, quote, the next pope, unquote, I don't see that as a good thing. <clears throat> not, uh, he's infected with some very, very modernist ideas, too. Even when he says something that is uh, quasi-traditional, it is only quasi-traditional uh, because what he says often involves modernist ideas introduced even into uh, in a traditional Catholic concepts. So, um, no, that's a that's a problem. Um, but uh, th- there's also, I mean, obviously, there's the issue was. How was he ordained a priest? How was he consecrated a bishop? Were these, uh, was this administered, is ordination and consecration administered according to the new rite of ordination, the new rite of Episcopal consecration? If so, they're very doubtful. Which means, in fact, you could not, uh, you couldn't touch them, you know, because the church says when it comes to the validity of the sacraments, you simply cannot you know, practice probabilism, and say, "Well, it's probably valid, so it must." You know, it's okay to go ahead with it, go along with it. No, the Church says, "You cannot do that when it comes to the sacraments." Period. You know? um, it's never legitimate to do that. So, uh, with regard to the new rites, is the question of whether there's even validity there, uh, whether there's a valid consecration as a bishop or a valid ordination as a priest. Uh, unfortunately, this is where the modernists have brought us. It is a fact. I mean, if you look at, follow traditional Catholic principles and apply those principles and the judgments of the church in the past to the modernism of the present day, this is where you go. This is what it, where it leads you. So, uh, in other words, no, I, I don't see any possibility of that. <clears throat> I see that even the most conservative of the Nova Soto. Uh, prelates would have to undergo a kind of conversion process they have to be converted back to the full full traditional Catholic faith and religion and and that is the practice of the traditional Catholic faith in order to even be considered as uh, those we even want to be in positions of leadership
1: I know know you said this before Father where it seems that characters like Cardinal Burke are even more dangerous than the out and out modernists because they lend the veneer of Catholicism to the
0: modernist movement. Unfortunately, they do. Yeah, and uh, and we can see that that same idea uh, throughout the political world as well as the religious world. That those who are not quite as, uh, let's say, rampant uh, socialists as others. Um, are arguing that, well, what they represent, the socialism they represent, is is very bad, but that's not what we're standing for. You know, one could say the Mensheviks, uh, even in Russia, relative to the Bolsheviks, were really benign, and, and they're really swell guys, because they weren't about to impose socialism by force, they just said that it would gradually grow, you know, society would grow into socialism so um they represent something um that we can live with but uh tom the the point is well made that they don't represent something we can live with it's still socialism and Cardinal Burke still represents modernism
1: fair enough let's move on father we've got a question that uh flows nicely from our recent programs concerning Mm -hmm. the retreat questions Mm -hmm. and the topic of our lady at fatima so we've got a question here that which asks uh are the heirs of Russia, spoken of by Our Lady of Fatima, the pre-communist heirs of Russia? That is, no pope or papal primacy, denying the magisterium of the church, everything done by bishops' committees, relig- subjecting religion to the state, etc. Are those yeah. the, uh, the, the heirs well, of Russia? Well,
0: those are all problems that are uh, part and parcel to the orthodox religion, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, when Our Lady said in July, the apparition of July thirteenth, nineteen seventeen, at Fatima, that Russia would spread her areas throughout the world, she was saying that unless uh, people consecrate themselves to her Immaculate Heart, stop sinning and defending God, uh, keep the you know observe the five first Saturdays um, uh, to make reparation to her Immaculate Heart as requested by our Lord and consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart. If that was not done, that Russia, she said, will spread her errors throughout the world. So that future indicates uh, not necessarily the present state of Russia as it was on July 13, 1917, but what was lying in the future. In fact, we know that um, by um, uh, well, within the month, a month's time after a lady's appearance the last time at Fatima, October 13th and the miracle of the sun and so on, Russia did fall to the Bolsheviks. The Bolshevik revolution took care of Russia and uh, all of the horrors of communism gradually descended on Russia with the dictatorship of Lenin, the Communist Party, Stalin succeeding him, and so on, all of that fell very very rapidly uh, on Russia. So I think it's pretty clear (coughs) that when Our Lady was saying that Russia will spread her errors throughout the world, she was referring to what she foresaw as coming to pass very soon, Bolshevized Russia, uh, socialized, communized Russia. I think those are the errors she's talking about, I think she was talking about the errors of Marxism. But the problem is <coughs> that <coughs> Russia was ripe for, for this problem, Russia was prepared for this event by Orthodoxy. Now I know there are those who are among the Orthodox who would be very, very upset and very determined to um, deny that and to combat that statement. But as I mentioned, and then our writer mentions here, that orthodoxy does make the church of Christ, as they claim to be, uh, kind of a a department of state or a a branch of the culture and the political power governing the area. And uh, there is no pope who is a vicar of Christ on earth. There are simply the bishops, basically, and their titles metropolitans and so on. Uh, governing, and they are equal in their power. Each has independent power over a certain area, right? And uh, that is very culturally connected and very politically corrected to the given area, right? And so when the Bolsheviks take over Russia, then they are the political power. And they see the Church of Russia, the Orthodox Church of Russia, as a Department of State, as an extension of the Communist Party, as a means of consolidating and perpetuating their power over the people, and gaining control of the people, body and soul, because now they are the religion also. (coughs) The KGB uh, um, finds that 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 is a very powerful instrument of control and oppression for the people. an Orthodox religion that it's already stated that it it is uh, let's say uh, connected to the powers that be, whoever they may be at any given moment in that part of the world. Um, so it's impossible it's it, it's impossible to say what Our Lady referred to as the heirs of Russia does not have anything to do with Orthodoxy. Because the Orthodox religion was the seedbed there in Russia, in which this was planted. And it was powerless to resist it, and eventually actually became an organ of the Communist Party. Or uh, uh, not not just a collaborator with, but actually was co-opted by the, the Communist Party. <clears throat> the very nature of the Orthodox religion lends itself to that, though. That's the problem. So. If you were to say, well, what are these errors of Russia that our lady was talking about? Was she talking about the orthodoxy as it prevailed in July 13th, 1917, when she said that? <coughs> or was she talking about what was coming with the Bol- Bolshevik takeover? I think the answer has to say yes, actually, both. <laughs> <Okay. coughs> All
1: right.
0: uh, but, and when our lady said, and I think the, really the answer to the question can be found in the words, if the Holy Father does, and he will eventually consecrate Russia to my Immaculate Heart, Russia will be converted. Well, Our Lady wasn't just talking about the conversion of Russia from Marxism. Our Lady was talking about the conversion of Russia to the Catholic faith. So she's talking about the conversion of Russia from her errors, not only of Marxism, but of Orthodoxy too. Mm-hmm. And the restoration of the peoples of Russia to the true faith, to the Catholic faith, to the Catholic fold. That is the only way to understand, um, uh, as far as I can see, her words, talking about the conversion of Russia. Mm -hmm. She wasn't just talking about Russia that had been Orthodox, now having been overtaken by communism, being converted back to orthodoxy again. No, that's definitely not what she was referring to. No, I don't think
1: so. Well, we've got another question here about uh, the Blessed Mother, Father, and this viewer would like for you to explain uh, the idea of Mary, the Blessed Mother, being the Co-Redemptrix. Mm-hmm. You could you explain that, that idea?
0: Well, the Church has never actually defined that she is the Co-Redemptrix. I mean, there's there's no actual dogmatic definition giving her that title that I know of. Uh, Keep your But <clears throat> the fact is that the Church has a long-standing tradition that Our Lady has a unique role. In our Lord's life and in His mission, <clears throat> and uh, her unique role is defined by her motherhood. <clears throat> she was first of all preserved from original sin, so never was her soul in any way tainted with any sin. Never was she an enemy of God. We, actually, God prophesied. God Himself said that the enemy would, that the woman would be the enemy of Satan. And if she had ever been in sin, during that time, she would have been the ally of Satan, not his enemy. So we know that Mary is not the enemy of God ever, that she is the enemy of Satan. And uh, that puts her in a unique place in the history of mankind. But also the motherhood of our Lord, which was her vocation to bring the Redeemer into the world, which was the the reason for that privilege of her immaculate conception and her sinlessness her vocation to be the mother of our Lord that already places her in an absolutely unique position among all mankind and among the angels themselves <clears throat> that she has a relationship with uh, the son of God the eternal son of God that no one else has and no one else can have she is his mother and he respected that here on earth you know? And um, we see that over and over in the Gospels, uh, even to the point where at the wedding feast of Cana, he did what otherwise would not have been done. He began his, his way to Calvary at that point, at that moment in his life, because she asked him to. She, understood, she He understood exactly what she, uh, what she intended when she pointed out they had no wine, and his answer to her shows that he understood. When he says what is that to thee to be woman my hour is not yet come she understood exactly the significance of those words and she understood he understood exactly what her meaning when she said to the waiters do whatever he tells you they communicated with each other in a way that uh, only the two of them perfectly understood but they did and um and the result was that our lord did work his first miracle and begin the road to calvary at, he, at her request So you see, she has a very special role to play in the life of our Lord, in the death of our Lord. She was there to receive him and place him in the manger. She was there to receive his body and place him in the tomb. Um, And um, because of that, the church has always understood that she was in a position to suffer with him, to unite herself with his redemptive sufferings in a unique way. not only because of her sinlessness that was a privilege granted to her by the foreseen merits of Christ crucified, because Christ died for her too, uh, but also that her heart was crucified as was said in the temple when, they, when, when she found our Lord there at the age of 12, uh, or at, I should say rather when they presented the, the infant to Jesus in the temple, excuse me, and it was prophesied to her that a sword would pierce her heart, you know, So she felt that suffering of our Lord as only a mother could. So Popeyes X actually addressed this very question of the title of Mary as the co-redeemer. And he said, obviously, there is only one true redeemer of mankind, that is the Son of God. But our Lord... The Son of God and God the Father Himself and the Holy Ghost also do uh, unite their creatures, not only us, with the redemptive work. As Christ said to His apostles, You go therefore and preach the gospel to all nations, you baptize, you teach them, instruct mankind to observe what things I've commanded you. As our Lord said in the night of the resurrection, go and forgive sins. whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. As our Lord at the Last Supper consecrated his body and blood, and then tells the apostles, you do what I have done, you do this. So God associates us with his work. <clears throat> and this is how he does things. This is how our, the God revealed in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, <clears throat> revealed the Father to us and the Holy Ghost too. Uh, that we are associated by by God in the missions uh, that of His Son and the mission of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Mary had a special mission among all mankind. She had a special mission. The Popeyes the Tenth said that Mary is obviously uh, given the title of Co co-redempt- Redemptrix in a subordinate way makes it very clear you know? and he explained it this way, he said that our Lord is the Redeemer de continuo. and that's a, that's a Latin expression meaning that he is the Redeemer by the very fact of his worthiness that what he accomplished as the Redeemer was strictly due to him because of his dignity as the Son of God and so offering himself on the cross as the sacrifice for mankind he earned the graces they were due to him because he is God and as a son of God he and he alone could obtain the graces of redemption because he and he alone could only had the dignity to repair the, the insults to God the Father that mankind could offer no, I've no, offered to God, no creature could offer an infinitely worthy, valuable sacrifice. Only Almighty God had the power to do something of infinite value. And that's what was required here, because the goodness that was offended was an infinite goodness, the infinite goodness of God. There is nothing that all mankind could possibly do even sacrificing their lives uh, it would not have infinite value and so it required Almighty God to be willing to offer the sacrifice but he would have to do so as man to apply that the value of that sacrifice the benefit of that sacrifice to man that is why we say that Jesus Christ, the Son of God uh, obtained redemption of mankind de continuo, because of his of his worthiness, of his dignity as God's own divine son mm. <clears throat> Mary could not have done that impossible, she needed redemption too You know, the privilege of her immaculate conception was accorded to her only because of her vocation as a mother of God <clears throat> and it was uh, given to her as a privilege, not as a right she was redeemed as much as you and I in some cases, you might even say, by a special act of preservation from sin, uh, that that redemption even had greater power in her, her um, than it would in us. In the sense that we are sinners, uh, we did sin, and God you know, had obtained forgiveness of our sins. Mm-hmm. And Mary was preserved from sin. So that is even more admirable and wondrous. So we say of Mary... That she is co co-redemptri- redemptrix de congruo, not de condigno, but de congruo, which means <clears throat> that it was fitting that God grant the redemption because of her faithfulness. She didn't have the worthiness to earn it. But because of her fidelity, absolute fidelity, to God and God's will, <coughs> it was suitable and fitting that God would grant that. <coughs> um, and there you are. I mean, that is what she contributed. Mm-hmm. And the, by way of parallel, to enable us to maybe understand the de continue and de congruo, Uh, aspects of this and the title therefore the church grants Mary as in her subordinate supportive role you might say supportive role of our Lord Uh, let me just say this I could never earn from God any grace grace is a supernatural gift from God I cannot earn that in any way. But what I can do is this. I can cooperate with the grace that God gives me. And only in that sense can I in any way be considered worthy of the grace because although I couldn't earn it or have a strict right to it, I cooperate with it and make it productive and use it for the purposes for which God gave it to me. To that extent, one could say, Okay, I earned it after the fact, by the very fact that I used it well. As a father might give a gift to a child, that the child couldn't possibly afford, that the child couldn't possibly earn in any way. But the father gives the child the gift and says, I want you to use this well and I want you to do good things with this. And the son does, the child does, okay? Uses the gift the father father gives to accomplish the father's will perfectly in giving the gift. And so the father may say, well done, you know, you have actually employed this that I gave you, and you've actually used it to produce good. Uh, Sort of like producing fruit, you know, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, right? And the Father says, this was a good investment I made in you, you know, and my trust in you has been richly rewarded by your cooperation. <clears throat> to that extent, the Son may say, and the Father may say, you, you have, uh, you have deserved my confidence, my trust, my generosity. You, you have deserved that because of what you have done in fulfilling my will, in giving you this gift. And so it is with Mary, our Blessed Mother, in a very special way, though. Um, She has uh, been worthy of that gift from God because of the wholehearted generosity of giving of herself to serve God's will. Mm -hmm. To that extent, we could say that she is certainly, in her supportive role of our Lord, a Mm co-redemptrix
1: with him. And you know, Father, it seems that this idea of Mary being the co redemptrix thats often used as some kind of excuse to uh, to, to say that Catholics worship Mary or worship the Blessed Mother. Yeah. When, in, in fact, that's not the—that's not the real. Catholic,
0: Quite the contrary, they, they, they don't understand, and maybe sometimes they don't want to understand. They're just looking for for uh, something to um, you know complain about or to attack, some weapon to attack Catholics. And uh, but I think if you explained it to them, <coughs> they would either say, "Well, let's change the subject because I don't want <laughs> I don't want an explanation. I just I'm looking for a fight. That's all, mm-hmm. or something to uh, sh- smear you with. You mm-hmm. know, let's move on to the next thing." And then you say, "Okay, well, you're not of goodwill." <coughs> but if somebody were to come and raise that point, and they're of goodwill, then they really want to know what ca- what answer you would give, and. Uh, if you if you gave a good answer in an understandable way, I think anybody of goodwill would say, "Man, there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. We mm-hmm. can't deny or argue with anything you've said."
1: And Father, I, th- I think one one good answer that uh, that one could give in this situation is that the real Catholic understanding is that uh, as I recently read this in an apologetics book, where they they described this nicely, where they said that. Uh, the, that offense is in the person is in the, the person that, that's offended so yeah. for the example given in the book was that if a soldier strikes a fellow soldier it's a it's yeah. an offense but perhaps not not that that serious one but if say the soldier uh, strikes his, his commander or his, his general his leader, it's a much yeah. more serious offense yeah. So if you take an infinitely perfect God and you have man one of his creatures offending an infinitely perfect God, yeah. it's an infinite. Offense. Yeah, the
0: measure of the offense is according to the dignity of the person offended. Exactly. exactly right. So
1: then, only the only uh, reparation that could actually make up for that sin would be an infinite sacrifice and an infinite uh, yeah. offering. And the only infinite offering that we could have would be Jesus Christ Himself, man, uh, yeah. God made man. Yeah. But man, since man was the one that did the offending, man had to somehow. Make up he for that, to so the sacrifice. Yeah. it seems there's uh, yeah. the most improbable of all answers: God becoming man.
0: Well, you know, uh, very well said, uh, Tom. And uh, Saint Paul says that Christ, our past is sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and in uh, First Corinthians chapter eleven, he talks about that offering the body and blood of Christ, proclaiming the death of our Lord until He come by the presence of His body and blood there on the altar. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the mass, and that's exactly what Christ has given us to offer, Himself. And uh, yeah, I, I think you've said it very well in a, in a very comprehensible, thoughtful way.
1: And, and Catholics only acknowledge that 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 sacrifice came to us through the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's yeah. that's all we're saying. We're not saying that she, that she is the one that, that did the sacrificing. But Father, let, let's delve back into a, a history lesson.
0: Although here. you know, she didn't she. She did not do the sacrificing in a sense that <clears throat> she could not have been the sacrifice, and that's the, the difference. She could not have been the sacrifice, mm-hmm. and yet she gave us the sacrifice, but <clears throat> in giving us our Lord,
1: that's a great way to put it.
0: And she was united to the sacrifice in a unique way by her motherhood. Uh, setting him on the road to Calvary, willingly surrendering her son to the sacrifice in obedience to the will of God. So she was united with the sacrifice in a in a remarkable way, in a way that you and I could not be. She united herself with the sacrifice of Christ okay. in an altogether unique way that even the angels couldn't do. And that that exactly is why we see her as the co redeemer
1: Well, let's talk about something else. <laughs> Uh, we, we've got we've got a question here about uh, at, uh, the church after World War II. Did the Vatican launder drug money for the CIA in a joint effort to stop communism, as Paul Williams claims in his book Operation Gladio?
0: I have no idea. <laughs> but if if he, if he is making the case that the Vatican like laundering drug money, um there have always been nefarious characters somehow embedded in the Vatican. They find their way in there, right? I mean, we talked in a recent program about about Montini as the pro-secretary of state, carrying on clandestine negotiations with the communists in Moscow behind the back of Pius XII. And now we've seen well, the histories of, of, of uh, John Paul II, Benedict, Francis, there have been scandal, not just scandal, that have erupted year after year about this this corruption, that corruption, <coughs> with involving priests and cardinals and so on, and the, and the Vatican operation. And even the, one of the uh, servants of uh, one of the modernist pontiffs there, leaking information and causing great scandal. I mean, this has just been going on and on and on uh, since Vatican II, you know, more and more of this stuff has come to light. But we've had um, sometimes powerful figures like Montini, even before Vatican II, who has been involved in Vatican uh, politics, as it were, and carrying on some of their own, their own program undercover and uh, one might say, well, of of course the Pope, Pius XII, must have been aware of it. No, Pius XII was not aware that Montini was carrying on uh, negotiations with the communists and he was shocked when he found out and he fired him as first secretary of state and was trying to find a way to to put him on ice somewhere. So if that could be happening during World War II <clears throat> and in the aftermath of World War II it's not inconceivable that somebody like a Montini could have been in, in the uh, Pius Twelfth Vatican and laundering drug money <clears throat> so I would say I don't know that it wasn't so I won't, I won't say that it couldn't have been so I would say quite the contrary it could well have been so that somebody was doing that some <clears throat> some uh, mole you know in the Vatican, but I, I don't know that it is, I don't know what evidence this man has for that. Be curious to see it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the activity of the Catholic Church, certainly. And it wasn't uh, a Roman, a true Roman Catholic pontiff who was masterminding this operation, or even, even uh, uh, in any way in, co- in collusion with it. <coughs> um, so I think one has to be very careful in making the allegations that this was going on to also uh, make it very clear that this is not the action of the Catholic Church doing it. This would have been done in spite of the church and in spite of any true apostolic authority uh, possessed by the church that there's some uh, <clears throat> some errant uh, f- renegade might have been handling something like that. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, Father, we've got a great question here that that we've had for some time now, which I'd love for you to address. Uh, So they ask, can one work for an employer that supports feminism, the LGBT movement, etc.? Is one culpable for what an employer supports by working for that employer? Does this fall under the nine ways of being an accessory to another's sin?
0: Well, I mean, uh, we could go through the nine ways and so you gotta check he's Got them. Right, got them by by listed one? here. Okay, <laughs> but I don't know that we really have to, um, because you're working for a company. For example, if you're working for Delta Airlines, okay, they're very pro, so-called. They're they're listed as some of the more. Uh, I don't know, what what is the title they give them? Uh, LGBT friendly companies or whatever they call them, and now it's. You know, it's L-G-B-T-Q-R-M-L-M-I-C-K-E-Y, whatever. Uh, um, It just grows and grows and grows, you know, as they become crazier and crazier, uh, as the perversions grow, you know, and invent new ones almost. But anyway, um, is it permissible, therefore, to work for a company that has taken this stance? Well, yeah, I mean, insofar (laughs) as... You are not keeping that company afloat, all you are doing is providing for your family. Um, your presence or absence there is not making a difference in the existence of the profitability of the company. Um, so your, your responsibility for the position of the company is, is uh, minimal in the sense that it, you have minimal influence. To make you to use whatever opportunity you have to use whatever influence you have To stop your company from supporting evil things. Yes, you have an obligation to use whatever influence you have to do that But in fact the influence the individual worker has Especially if they're not uh, you know in the upper management is really minimal So it would not be a mortal sin, certainly, for someone to work for one of the major airlines or, or one, uh, one of the companies listed as, you know, uh, on the you know, high advanced level of being LGBT supportive. Um, the greater the influence one has in the company, obviously, the greater the responsibility one has to use that influence to prevent. The support, public support of the perversion,
1: okay.
0: um, but the ordinary worker, uh, in lower management or not even in lower management, has such minor influence there that they, um, they, they, their, their cooperation in any evil there would be very minimal. But. I, even inconsequential, consequential in
1: Let's say instead of a an, an airline or something that a company that provides a uh, a service that isn't necessarily immoral. What if there was a company whose mission was to provide immoral services? What if then so? Let's say, well,
0: if the nature of the company is to, is to provide immoral service, then not, clearly they couldn't. They okay. could not be part of that. They couldn't support it. Uh, I mean, you know, there there are levels of support, levels of involvement. <clears throat> Okay, if I have a job in a a company that is um, uh, involved with abortion, okay, Mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm working as a receptionist in an abortion mill, you know, an execution chamber for babies, I'm very gravely, I'm committing sin there by actually facilitating the killing of babies by organizing this repeat take. Taking appointments, scheduling people in and out, you know, and and so on. Clearly, I mean, I'm contributing to the effort of something that is intrinsically evil. Um, but the question then comes up this, uh, to this too. Okay, this abortion provider uh, decides to buy the paper products in its restrooms, the paper, the towels, and all, from my company. Am I committing sin by selling them hand towels, you know, paper towels to dry their hands, right? Am I, um, am I, uh, to what extent am i involved if I agree to have my company clean the offices by night, you know? So I send workers in to clean the offices. Uh, I'm providing electricity, right, for the machines that are running. Am I, I, mean, am I selling them uh, am, I, am I like a broker of energy, and I go in and I say I want to sell you the energy, you know, and and uh, get you a cheaper rate or whatever it is? Um, you you're hiring me to redo the parking lot asphalt, you know. <clears throat> Obviously, you know, someone real principal would say I I cannot do anything. I, I don't want any. I don't want your business. I'm not going to contribute to your business in any way. Um I'm not going to put up your sign. go find another sign company right? I'm not going to replace the asphalt in your in your parking lot, find another asphalt company um, et cetera et cetera, right okay Then we're talking about something that is a very different matter right. That this is officially what they do. It is they—they. So they, it's like murder incorporated. This is what they do, and no, I'm not going to sell you the bullets to go and kill anyone. Right. So, um. We can talk about the the level of responsibility that somebody could have who might go ahead with it. Right? Uh, but that gets you know morally, it gets very complicated. Uh, with start working with all the principles and and what level of involvement they have and what level of responsibility, and therefore what level of guilt they may have for what they do, well, um, that would take multiple programs uh, to really cover it thoroughly. So that's a different matter. But if the business is a legitimate business in itself that is providing a legitimate service to itself, or legitimate goods in themselves, that's another matter then you have uh, beyond the fact that you're working in a company that actually has the legitimate reason to exist and provides goods right? Um, then you uh, and the company let's say is involved in something that is unacceptable that is morally uh, perverse again it gets back to what extent do I to what extent do I have an influence and a responsibility for the company's position?
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I, I thought it was great to bring up the uh, the idea of the different ways of being accessible to one's end, because yeah. you, you see that so often where people try and yeah. try and uh, uh, absolve themselves of guilt by saying, oh, I, I didn't do it myself. Uh, whereas if they're accessible through one of the nine ways of, of, yeah. of being uh, accessible to, to another's- They
0: actually wrote them down there. They did. They, they, they must they, have gotten them from programs.
1: List, listed them all right there.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, you could tell a story and give an example of each one of these. Yeah. For example, I mean, <clears throat> a movie theater, okay? They can show the movie The Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could show a man for all seasons, right? But they can also show some really evil movies, and you're selling popcorn yeah. in the mezzanine, okay? And and you know you're running the concession stand there. To what extent are you cooperating and responsible, man? Yeah? Let's just check out what they what they give in you here, anyway. <laughs> Say, okay, you can you can uh, contribute to the sin of another, or actually share in the guilt, right? Accessory in another sin by counsel, okay, by advising them. True, by command, by ordering them to do it. Let's say a father ordering a child to do something wrong, to steal, right? <clears throat> by consent, okay. Uh, if you have, uh, you're in a position to um, refuse to allow it, but you consent to it, okay. And you could stop it by not consenting to it. No, no, that's wrong by provocation, okay, by inciting somebody to do something evil, by praising them in their, in their evil and the evil that they're doing, or flattering them for having done it, by concealing it and hiding it and preventing it from being known, yeah, that's true, by actually ta- partaking in it, by ta- actually taking an active part in the crime, by your silence when you have an obs- uh, when you have a responsibility to expose it, and uh, by defending the evil that was done. Okay, yeah, there are ways. If one is a night watchman, and he has a responsibility to prevent someone from breaking in and stealing, and through negligence, he just doesn't lock the door, what responsibility does he have? He has some responsibility, because he had a responsibility to lock the door, okay? But if he leaves the door unlocked deliberately, to gain, allow access to the thief, okay, then he has a greater responsibility. Okay? So there are all kinds of ways that one can uh, be share in the guilt of another's crime. That's true. In the case um, that this per- person mentions, though, of working for a company or an employer that adopts immoral uh, causes that it's supporting, For example, I I mean, it it applies here locally to a a bank that is a major sponsor for the equinox celebration of the homosexuals downtown Cincinnati every year. They throw a big party, basically, celebrating the perversion, And the bank is a major sponsor of that. This is problematic, isn't it? a major grocer in the area also, selling their products, uh, food, to families to feed their children is a a sponsor of this event downtown. It's very problematic, isn't it? But does it mean that anybody who goes shopping there is actually supporting the LGBT movement? No. If a family, if they have an alternative to go and can do so without major problems and convenience and can still feed their family, there would be a certain obligation to do that. But at what point is their contribution by going and buying a quart of milk or you know whatever else to, at what point um, um, does that become such a non-factor in the, com- the company's uh, stance that uh, you know they're not sinning by going in and buying their groceries there, or even by banking there. Uh, the experience that we've had, because this is a very practical problem, because there's so much of this going on out there right now. Um, you know, the, the, we we were actually seeking banks locally that would not have given any support and be connected in any way with uh, this this evil. Good luck. (laughs) And that was what we found. We went from bank to bank. I sat down with the representative of the banks and said, this is what we're looking for. We finally found a bank that said, we do not get involved in all that. We're totally indifferent. We we do not even mention this or adopt any corporate stance on that. Sure enough, we went with that bank and within a matter of months, sure enough, of our little management, decided to declare themselves. <clears throat> it's like you have nowhere to go these days. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um it's it's a problem, but it's a it's a problematic problem in so there uh, that it's it's very difficult or almost impossible to avoid that entirely.
1: Right.
0: But this gets down to a much larger question, Tom. The book of the apocalypse The prophecy that the Antichrist will make it impossible to buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. Right. And that that is coming. Right.
1: Definitely seems that way because mm-hmm. even, like you mentioned, a major company here in, in Cincinnati. We've got one of the one of the, the biggest companies in the world here in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and they're one of the biggest uh, supporters of, mm-hmm. of all of this, of all the the LGBT and all, and all that other stuff. But mm-hmm. it's. Uh, it's rather scary to, to read the list of the, the different ways of being an accessory to one's sin and it
0: it's so what is necessary it, 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 that is important to know even from a practical point of view
1: at
0: yeah. the corporate level that's one thing but even relatives you know and, and friends and, and other things you get involved in you know you have to be careful sure. that's really on the street level here but I would say this. It is true that the ordinary worker has very little influence uh, over the corporate policy, but whatever influence they have, they should use. So if they're working for a, a company that does support this, would they have would that worker have an obligation to write a letter to corporate headquarters and say, you know, <clears throat> I want you to know that I do not approve of this, that I'm against this. <laughs> You you might say well the obligation would be according to what good they thought they could reasonably do by that,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's a bit. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well then, let's move on, Father. Okay. We've got uh, a whole stack of questions <laughs> so we'll see okay. what, what what we can get through here. But there's there's one uh, that we've had for a while now, asking if you could explain the meaning of Jacob's ladder. <clears throat>
0: Not right now. Okay. okay. There are a number of things called Jacob's Ladder. One of them has to do with high voltage electricity. <laughs> but as far as Jacob's Ladder, from wrestling the angel and uh, so on, that I would want to uh, that I'd want to take a good look at again. Okay. Because it's been quite a while since I've even thought about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But why don't we set that aside for the time being Holy. and return to it? Cause it's a good question.
1: We can do that. Uh, okay, then let's move on to a question about marriage. Specifically, can a marriage that originated in the Novus Sordo and has transitioned to uh, a, something traditional, such as SSPV, can that be blessed by a traditional priest?
0: If it is a valid marriage, yes, it could be, and uh, blessed in the sense of a, a nuptial mass and giving the nuptial blessing, or I'm not sure. Okay. I guess uh, what they're asking could be, could a traditional priest witness their marriage vows that they'd already made in the Novus Ordo? And the answer is if they made them validly, certainly. And if they did not make them validly for whatever reason, but if they were truly uh, capable of marrying, and uh, marrying as Catholics, then the traditional priest would do whatever is necessary to to the point where they would make their marriage vows validly. That would be the ideal thing, you know? Mm -hmm. We do not say that all marriages that take place in the Novus Ordo are are invalid. Mm -hmm. A number of them are, clearly, because they just don't have the intent, really, to be married, according to the Catholic understanding of what marriage is, the very essence of marriage. But uh, but we certainly don't say that all the marriages that go out in the in the Novus Ordo Church are, in, if so, factually invalid. <coughs> um, because they can state their marriage laws with the, the correct intent and really intend to be uh, truly husband and wife to each other. And uh, they can be valid, but I would recommend that people who are married in the Novus Ordo and are Catholics living as Catholics should in marriage that they talk to the Catholic, the traditional Catholic priest about having a nuptial, a real Catholic nuptial mass, and the real Catholic nuptial blessing given. Yes.
1: Okay. There's another question here from the, the same viewer who asks if there are any circumstances when confession can be done face to face.
0: Yes, there are, there are circumstances. For example, um, when, when you're in a hospital, right, you can't carry a screen with you. You you can drape the, uh, I suppose, the the sheet over the person's face and have them go to confession that way. Uh, There are even times when you can tell the person don't confess your sins because there's no privacy. The thing is though, uh, a a priest is obliged to turn away when a woman is going to confession. He's allowed to hear a man's confession face to face if necessary. But not a woman's confession, and because if a woman has matters of the sixth and ninth commandment to confess, and she's confessing confession to the priest, it can be very embarrassing for her and it can be problematic for the priest too. So he really should turn in such a way that effectively there is a screen there because she's not facing him and he's not facing her. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well,
1: Father, we've got a whole stack of questions left. We'll mm-hmm. save those for a future program. Okay.
0: okay, that sounds like a fun idea, Tom. <laughs> Bring up Jacob's letter again. Too. I'll do we'll, that. Uh, oh. I, I will do my homework. And there are, there are comments of the fathers on that, talk about the significance of that in the spiritual and allegorical sense. i just like to brush up on that. Sure. <clears throat> you know why? <clears throat> because if I start talking, there's no... Te- <laughs> you know, this gives us hope that it can be, uh, let's say, made concise. So that, that's why I don't want to get started on it. Right
1: now. We'll see what we can do. Wow. Well, okay. thanks, Thank thanks for being here tonight, Father, and thanks for answering at least some of the questions.
0: Oh, sorry. So, Thank you. No and problem. thanks to our questioners. So I appreciate so many questions. Yep,
1: exactly. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.